table, our communion service on the second Sunday of each month. And like many times in the past, Pastor Hager has, has uh, led our congregation in that time. And uh, so we're, we're happy to have him uh, speaking to us and leading us in the communion service today. And, and it is his uh, recognition Sunday we wanted to, to thank him for for 30 years of sacrificial service at Grace Bible Church. He and Pat have been uh, just the, so much the face of Grace Bible Church for these years, before I've been here, uh, about the 20 years as well that I've been here. Uh, Steve has, has always been there to, to lean upon and to, and to fight the battles with. Uh, so um, we're just happy to have him. Uh, leading us this morning, and know it's going to be a great blessing to you. Steve, if you would come. Let's have a word of prayer, please. Father, we uh, thank you for this time that we can have together in your word and then time around the Lord's table together. Uh, Father, I'm your servant this morning, the servant of your word. Uh, may I be uh, worthy of opening your word and communicating it to your people that you may be glorified and that we may be edified by it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I... Uh, I don't know that this will be the last time that I'm in this pulpit. I sure hope not. But it, it, it does seem like a, a, a special occasion. And so at, at times like this, I, I'm just I'm re reminded of the very first time that I stood here opening the, the word to you. And uh, Tommy, I don't remember the year. Uh, but I was teaching Sunday school. I was a, I was a deacon, and, and you had asked me to teach Sunday school, so I was teaching Sunday school. And as uh, was our family habit, we were here pretty early, and, and, uh, and so the phone rang, and there was no one else here. So I picked up the phone, and I heard a voice on the other end. It said, Steve, this is Tommy. I thought, oh no. He said, you're going to have to preach this morning. <laughs> I said, uh, oh, oh, okay, Tommy, which, just read your Sunday school lesson. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I, I, I don't think too many people left Grace Bible Church after that. There, there, might, have been, there might have been some. Uh, I don't know. Well, this morning, we are going to uh, look into God's Word, uh, and our primary passage is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, and while you're turning there, if you uh, uh, would also uh, go back to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll be spending significant time uh, there as well. So 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, and uh, if you'll just uh, 
put a finger in Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. Uh, if you're if you're looking at a device to to do this, you might be in a, at an advantage because I'm going to be using uh, several different uh, translations of God's word, so you you have a, a little bit of an advantage if you do that. So Second Corinthians five six through eight. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, the central idea that I I want us to look at this morning is in verse Seven, for we walk not, we walk by faith, not by sight. So as, as we go back to verse six, which we just read, uh, we have the word therefore. Most of you know the old axiom uh, that if a verse starts with therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Um, so I want us to look at some context uh, that will help us with that central thought of walking by faith and not by sight. Now, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) we have to go further back than the beginning of chapter 5 because chapter 5 starts with, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and so on. So that doesn't help us very much, does it? Because it's like Paul is starting the chapter in the middle of a thought, you know, the chapter divisions are not divinely dis- uh, inspired. Uh, those were uh, uh, those were introduced in, in the Middle Ages, as a, and it's wonderful they were. We have a way of, of navigating through the scriptures, but they aren't always the be- put in the best places. For we know that of our earthly house of this tabernacle, so we need to go back further uh, than the beginning of chapter five. Uh, so I'm going to start, I didn't tell anyone this, I'm going to start with chapter 3 and we're going to go through the whole, no, we'll get out at about 2 or 3 this afternoon. Um, but we do need to look especially at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. <clears throat> Before we do that, though, I, I want to tell you something that I observed that I think is important to what we're saying. In chapters 3 through 5 of 2 Corinthians, Paul develops his arguments uh, of various things, the the superiority of the new covenant, of new covenant ministry, of the difficulties of new covenant ministry, and all of this. He develops these ideas through contrasting pairs of ideas. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3 through 5, I counted at least 24 contrasting pairs of ideas. So let's just look, please, at, uh, at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. And I think that will help us when we, when we get back to our passage. 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding 
and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, the Greek word blepo, meaning to, to perceive with our physical eye, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, now look, look at this. For our light affliction, we have that contrast with weight of glory. Light affliction, weight of glory. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal. So moment contrasts with eternal. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Contrasting pairs again. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary. Temporary, the things which are not seen are eternal. Temporary and eternal. So you see what I'm talking about. We have these contrasting pairs. And this three-chapter segment is just full of those kinds of things. Now, at this point, I want us to skip ahead to our main verses, uh, verses 6 through 8 of chapter 5, which we read a few moments ago. Those verses are going to reiterate the same thought as, verse, as verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. So, in verse 18 in chapter 4, that which is temporal versus that which is eternal. And in verse 6 of chapter 5, we have the idea of at home in the body and absent from the Lord, which is our temporary state, our temporal state, versus in verse 8, present with the Lord and absent from the body, which is our eternal state. So you see what I'm saying? Is that clear? It's clear, perfectly clear to me, but that doesn't mean it is to you. You see what I'm saying? Uh, that we have those two passages of Scripture, particularly verse 18 of chapter 4 and then verses 6 and 8 of chapter 5. But the difference, the subtle difference in those two passages is that verse that's sandwiched in between 6 and 8, verse 7. Because what verse 7 is going to do is tell us how we, in this temporary state that we're all in right now, are able to have an eternal mindset. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, you remember a few minutes ago, I, or a few moments ago, I, I, I emphasized in verse 18 of chapter 4, the word for seen, which was blepo, the Greek word blepo. Here, in verse 7, we have a completely different word used for sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. The Greek word is one that's not used very often, idos, idos, which means an outward appearance. It simply means an outward appearance. So we could say, for we walk by faith, not by outward appearance, is the idea here. As, as I was reading this, as I was meditating on it, I, I have to tell you, uh, I have some friends, <clears throat> one in particular, who asked me earlier this week, are you doing okay? 
And I said, you know, I've really been meditating a lot on this verse and what it means for my life. And it's, it, it's, it, it's kind of heavy duty, actually. Um, we walk by faith and not by sight, not by outward appearance. As I was thinking of this, I was reminded of <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 6 and the story of the prophet Elisha and his servant facing the Aramean army. So if you'll go back then, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, to 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll look at that. And the passage, uh, the, the episode in the life of Elisha that I want us to look at is in verses 8 through 23. Now, Elisha was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was uh, the successor to the mighty prophet Elijah. The cast of characters in this episode from his life include God himself, Elisha, Elisha's servant, the king of Aram. And incidentally, Aram is another name for Syria. If you have a, a King James Bible, I think it says Syria, and that's, both are correct. The king at that time was Ben-Hadad, 2 Kings 8, 7. The, Another, another cast in the, uh, of characters, raiding bands in the army of the Arameans, horses and flaming chariots of fire, the army of God. Um, and then the king of Israel, who at this time was Joram, Second uh, Kings 3, 1 through 3, and the army of Israel. Those are the cast of characters. I'm going to read uh, this whole segment here just to make sure we're all on the same page, so to speak. So Second Kings 6 starting with verse 8 and going down through verse 23. When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, my camp will be at such and such a place. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the, uh, to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter, and he called his servants and demanded of them, Tell me, which one of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No one, my lord the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, Go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, O oh my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, 
This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you're looking for. He led them to Samaria. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? Elisha replied, Don't kill them. Do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. We have there that great account. Somehow, King Joram of Israel was always avoiding ambush by the uh, Aramean raiders. When the king of Aram found out that Elisha was tipping off King Joram, he sent his army to capture Elisha. Now, I don't know why it didn't occur to the king of Aram that the same God who could tell Elisha for the sake of the king of Israel could tell Elisha for his sake, but somehow that didn't occur to him. Um, but they did. He sent a, a, a great and mighty army, army, and Elisha and his servant were surrounded. Elisha's servant saw this and realized they were in deep trouble. The temporal eyes of frail men would indeed see nothing but trouble when surrounded by the enemy. This servant says what you and I would likely say. What shall we do? In fact, he says, alas, master, or oh, no, master. If you or I get bad news, we might say the same thing. What's going to happen in the current crisis in Ukraine? What's going to happen? What shall we do with skyrocketing gas and grocery prices? Threat of nuclear war with a madman in control in Russia. Alas, what shall we do? We walk by outward appearance and not by faith. Trouble at home with soaring crime rates, rampant abortion and redefinition of marriage to support anyone's lust. Alas, master, what shall we do? Trouble in our homes, even in our Christian homes, marriages in trouble, broken relationships between parents and children. What shall we do? We walk by sight and not by faith. But Elisha, walking by faith and not by sight, said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 16. What would you have thought if someone said that to you? With all due respect, Master, I'm not sure you see the reality of this situation here. It's you and me surrounded by this huge army, and I don't see the cavalry coming to rescue us. I mean, Master, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. I see the reality of this situation. We are outnumbered. We are doomed. So when Elisha asks God to open his servant's eyes to the real reality of the situation, this, sermon, this servant can be calm and confident 
as Elisha already was. He was quiet. In fact, we don't hear from this servant again in the rest of this episode. Was he convinced at that point, seeing God's horses, God's chariots of fire? Was he convinced of God's providential care at that point? I think he was. I think he was. So, as Elisha had asked God to open the eyes of his servant, he now asks God to blind the Aramean army. What happens next is filled with irony, I think. There is no doubt that the sudden blindness of the Aramean army was a miracle from God, but I think there's another miracle going on here. I think it's miraculous that they followed Elisha, um, especially when he told them exactly where he was taking them in such a helpless state. They had to believe it was a death sentence. When they arrived before King Joram in Samaria, Elisha again prayed for open eyes. He had asked God to open the eyes of his servant to behold God's strength and protection. And now he asks God to open the eyes of the enemy of God. And when they were open, they could see they were in the midst of the king of Israel and the army, and they could see what terrible peril they were in. There's more to the story, and it's significant. It deals with God's mercy toward his enemies. But I want to stop right here because I want to draw some applications to 2 Corinthians 5-7 based on this episode in the life of Elisha. The Christian is characterized by 2 Corinthians 5-7. We walk by faith, not by sight, not by outward appearances. Well, but do we? Sometimes I'm surrounded by Arameans, and you are too. Seemingly hopeless situation. You fill in your own hope, hope, hopeless circumstances. Alas, my Lord, what shall I do? Elisha prayed that the eyes of his servant would be open. Now, a better prayer for us as the family of God is found in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. Uh, you can turn there if you want to, or you, you don't have to. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. Paul is going to pray for three things for the people of God in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. The Arameans may do their worst, but they can't extinguish the hope that you have in Christ. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, too, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The Arameans may take the form of marriage failure, cancer, financial collapse, but they can't take away the riches of the glory of his inheritance, which is the absolute certainty, absolute certainty of the literal physical resurrection of our bodies 
to everlasting life in the presence of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, third, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. We walk by faith, not by sight or outward appearance. The outward appearance is that the Aramean army looks strong. It looks powerful. Your circumstances appear overwhelming, yet by faith in God and the truth of his word, we know that he who raised up the Lord Jesus exercises this same power toward those of us who believe. Yes, we as believers are called to walk by faith and not by sight. This means that during times of suffering, during times of loss in our lives, when we want to ask God or demand of God a reason why these things have happened, by faith we trust God's good plan even if, no, especially if we can't see our way forward and can't understand. In a general sense, we can claim the promises of God concerning our suffering. The more we claim these promises and meditate on them, the more our faith grows. But you know, when things happen that can never be explained, things we can never understand in this life, even when the promises of God leave us with unanswered questions, the most important thing is to, by faith, leave those unanswered questions with God. I want us to see, don't turn there, just listen to me. I want us to learn something of the heart of God, to learn something from the heart of God, from Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 31 through 33. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. I love that word. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. Ray Stedman says this concerning those verses. God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men if it is necessary for our growth and spiritual well-being. He will allow grief to come into our lives, but he also shows us his unfailing love. When we hurt, he hurts with us. When we cry, he mingles his tears with our own. As a loving parent, he knows the heartache of a hurting child, of hurting for a child, even when he must afflict that child to bring about repentance. At those times when God must cause grief in our lives, he also has compassion for us according to his abundant love. Unquote. For we that are in this tabernacle, this tent, this flesh. We that are in this tabernacle do 
groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, meaning not that we would be without a body, but that we would be clothed upon, that we would have our resurrection bodies. That mortality, mortality, death, might be swallowed up of life. 2 Corinthians 5.4 We walk by faith, not by sight. Finally, are you burdened for the Aramean army? Elisha was. King Joram wanted to kill his enemies. Did you notice that he asked twice if he should kill them? Did they deserve to die? Yes. But Elisha told King Joram not to kill or even judge them, but to bless them. How badly do you want to see blind eyes open? How badly do you want the enemies of God, anyone who's never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, to have their eyes open to their peril? Blindness, as we know, is a picture of unbelief. In 2 Corinthians 5.4, But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, that you are in terrible peril, worse than the Aramean army. You're in terrible peril. The one who has the power to cast you into hell, Luke 12, 5, is standing before you at this moment. And I pray, God, open the eyes of those who hear my voice but are blind. God has the desire and the means to save you. You can't do it yourself. No outward appearance, be it by good works or by stirring up yourself to some kind of reformation of behavior can save you. Only by faith, by trusting that Jesus Christ alone took the penalty for your sins on himself can you be right with God. May today be the day when you begin that walk of faith, not just faith in faith, we hear about that a lot, but faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Only in that way, only in that way can you be saved. Only in that way can you be saved from the penalty of your sin. And as Paul tells us a little later in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is so much 
there is so much in this life. And if you haven't trusted Christ, I want to urge you, I want to beg you to do that this morning. We're going to go into our time together around the Lord's table. And I simply want to say that if you never have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we want you just to observe this. And you can uh, ask questions about, uh, about how to have this Christian life uh, for many, one of our elders or anyone, uh, many, many people here will be able to tell you how to have that Christian life. I would also say that this is not uh, the table of Grace Bible Church. This is the Lord's table. Anyone who's placed personal faith in Jesus Christ is welcome to, uh, to partake with us of the Lord's table. So if I could please ask the men to come. <clears throat>